Welcome to Democracy Speaks. I'm your host, Cindy Black. On today's program, I'll be talking with Eric Liu from Citizen University about civic engagement in their mission to get more people involved in flexing their civic power. Eric Liu is the founder and CEO of Citizen University, a national nonprofit that promotes the art of powerful citizenship. He also directs the Aspen Institute Citizen and American Identity Program. Liu's books include the national bestsellers, The Gardens of Democracy, and The True Patriot. The Accidental Asian, a New York Times notable book, Guiding Lights, the official book of National Mentoring Month, and his most recent, You're More Powerful Than You Think, A Citizen's Guide to Making Change Happen. Lou has also served as White House speechwriter for President Bill Clinton and later as the President's Deputy Domestic Policy Advisor. He and his family live here in Seattle. Welcome to the program, Eric, and thank you for taking the time to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I always like to get to know our guests and why they got involved with democracy work. In particular, you're involved with citizenship and citizen engagement. What got you into this work? How'd you get here? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to to be with you. And uh, I just love the idea of having time to do a deep conversation about democracy. Um, I... um, I think it starts in many ways fundamentally just from the fact that I'm the child of immigrants. Uh, My parents were born in mainland China and uh, went to Taiwan during the Civil War there and came to the United States in the late 1950s. And uh, and so I grew up uh, in upstate New York uh, and really had this sense. It was not often directly vocalized, but just implicit in so much of the way that we lived our lives, this sense that uh, as the kid of immigrants here, all I had done was to have the dumb luck to be born here, Uh, that my parents had done the heavy lifting, and they had made the hard choices and the sacrifices to come here, and uh, and there was this implicit question of, so what what was I going to do to earn it, right, to be useful? and, uh, and th- th- so that, you know, family is a big part of that foundation. Um, uh, the Chinese community where I lived growing up um, uh, was itself a really interesting kind of civic community and uh, with different associations that my parents were involved in. And, uh, and so that was one piece. I think another piece of it really was um, the, uh, when I went to college, uh, one of the things that really struck me was, again, the same sense of, Um, with every single opportunity one gets should come an equal or greater obligation, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I went to Yale College, and that itself is a great opportunity. But one of the things that really struck me uh, early on there, there's a a big bell tower on campus there. And on the base of that bell tower uh, is inscribed this quote from Nathan Hale, uh, who was from the class of 1773, I think. Mm Um, and, you know, his most famous quote, of course, is, uh, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country, mm-hmm. which were his last most words. Most people know that one. Most people know that one, right, as he was being executed by the British for being a spy, right, during the Revolutionary War. But his second most famous quote, which is inscribed at the base of this tower, uh, is, I wish to be useful. And mm-hmm. that ethic um, really started to click with me uh, during those years in college. I had not been particularly political um, in my high school years, even though I had a sense of wider community 
presence and obligation, but it was in, in, in college that I started to really pay much more attention to our democracy mm-hmm. uh, and to American politics. And I studied uh, American history and political history to a great degree. Um, and out of college, I went to work in politics. Um, and it was a real choice for me, actually. I had, to, I had a fork in the road when I was leaving college of whether to go into the military. Um, I'd gone through Marine Corps officer candidate school mm-hmm. um, all through uh, my sophomore and junior years of college. And uh, the way Marine OCS works, it's not like ROTC. You're not obligated to go because they weren't paying for any schooling. Sure. So when you're a senior, you get to decide, do you want to take a commission as a second lieutenant when you graduate? Uh, and that fork in the road for me was, do I want to, I knew I wanted to be useful in some way. And the question was, do I want to go into the military or do I want to be engaged in you know, civilian civic political life? And I chose the latter ultimately um, and went to Washington, D.C., but you had that commitment early on that you wanted to do something in some way to contribute. To be, yeah, exactly. Yeah, to that contribute. useful again, yes. To be useful, you know. And, uh, um, you know, I think a lot of that feeling when you are a child of immigrants and you, and you get to take for granted so much that uh, even one generation ago in your family nobody could take for granted, mm-hmm. uh, then there's this feeling of, I better show up. I better get involved. I better understand what's going on around me. Uh, I better circulate the knowledge that I'm getting and the opportunity that I'm getting and not just uh, uh, hoard it. And uh, I think that those foundations were laid pretty early for me. So now you have Citizen University. What led you to create this program or organization? Yeah, well, this is, it's, uh, you know, on top of that foundation that um, we were just talking about um, is a path that was more organic and fortuitous in some ways. I've been an author for many years and uh, uh, even as I've been involved in, in politics and civic life. And I wrote a book back in 2000, uh, came out in 2005, called Guiding Lights, about life-changing mentors from all different walks of life. You know, Marine Corps drill instructor, Hollywood acting coach, uh, inner city priest, um, major league pitching coach, all these different folks. And after the book came out, I thought, well, that was amazing to spend almost two years traveling around the country meeting all these remarkable mentors from different walks of life and so forth. But I didn't want it to end there. Uh, And so I started working with folks uh, in town here and we started organizing uh, convenings that were really about bringing, first bringing together the people who had written about in the book to learn from each other and exchange their ideas. But then we started turning that into conferences uh, to more widely spread and to teach the art of mentorship uh, and what it means to pass on values and knowledge and skills, um, whether it's from a professional domain or from an, a, an identity group or from um, you know, some other uh, form of belonging, right? What it means to, to pass on what you know. Um, and so uh, for many years, uh, we, we organized this conference called the Guiding Lights Weekend. And we had a little organization called the Guiding Lights Network. Uh, and we did this annual conference at Seattle Center. Um, and it was really deep and when meaningful. When did you start that? When, when that did was that start? Uh, 2006. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, several years into that, uh, as we were doing this, and it was a very deep, rich, holistic, humanistic kind of gathering that was you know, very unique because it was bringing together folks from all these different, not only professions, but walks of life and parts of the community and so forth, searching and seeking for different things, right? And um, a few years in, we realized... What we were doing was not just about the the mentor-mentee dyad, right? What we were really doing was even beyond just the art of mentor uh, mentorship. It was much more the art of community building and citizenship. What, what is the community context within which 
mentorship happens? What's the, the, the wider civic and cultural context within which anybody is trying to pass on what they know, right? And as we started thinking about that, there was one year where we gave our conference the theme, Great Citizenship. Like, how does mentoring happen in civic life? Um, and the, there was an electricity to that year's conference uh, that made us realize, wow, there's something special here. Um, and uh, we decided, wow, we should really actually orient ourselves uh, around this notion of citizenship, not just mentorship. So it came out of one of the conferences you had. That it, it, was a really strong theme. It was a strong people. theme, and yeah. people re- it just clicked with a lot of people that, um, you know, this was during, uh, it probably would have been, you know, uh, the, the late years of the George W. Bush administration, and there was just this awakening um, of people across the political spectrum that it was time to show up and get involved. And if you were unhappy with the war, if you were unhappy with the direction that things were going, uh, you needed to show up in a different way. Um, and so when we realized that channel of energy that we'd opened up uh, by uh, talking about great citizenship, uh, we decided just to pivot and orient the whole organization that way. And we changed our name to Citizen University. We became uh, an organization that was much more explicitly focused on how do you build a culture of powerful, engaged citizenship. Uh, Which leads so, me to my next <clears throat> question about about Citizen University. What is your mission? What, yeah. what are you trying to do with Citizen University? Well, we really are. Our mission is to build that culture of powerful, responsible citizenship and to do it by, in the first place, spreading the belief that democracy is on us, that it's not a thing sitting over there. It's not a thing to complain about. It's not a thing to lament. Um, it, it, it is on us and it is us. Um, and that we uh, have both the opportunity and, again, the obligation uh, to actually take ownership of the, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of our democracy, right? And so it's sharing and spreading that belief, but then also uh, directing people to practices uh, in community, in the company of others, um, where we can put that belief into action, right? And so that's our mission, is really uh, trying to build this culture by spreading the belief uh, that democracy is on us, uh, and by creating pathways of action for people to, uh, to practice that belief. Mm-hmm. And I, I just know from my own experience, civics in high school or taught in school is very minimal, if at all. And now, you know, so many students don't get any type of citizen mm-hmm. um, education or a civic education in high school. My civics teacher was also the football coach, mm-hmm. which, and they looked at it like a throwaway mm-hmm. class. That's why they gave it to the football coach, mm-hmm. which... He didn't seem real interested in it, and all his, everything he talked about was in sports analogies. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that's common for some people. That, yeah, that's no, I've heard that exact ex- situation. Yeah, so um, we don't really have a place to really encourage people to be more civically engaged. Yeah. And so I see that your citizen university is a big part of that. Well, we, uh, you're absolutely right that in the United States over the last 30, 40 years, K-12 civic education has been diminishing and evaporating. Um, and uh, and we're literally paying the price for that yeah. now, right? Mm-hmm. You, we're paying the price in terms of the disconnection that so many people feel from, uh, from our political culture. Uh, we're paying the price in terms of the sense of disempowerment and the illiteracy in power that is so widespread, right? People, people can, it's fine. People are always uh, at different times for different reasons going to be ticked off uh, about what's going on in government. But there used to be a time where more people actually understood what you would do with that being ticked off, mm-hmm. uh, how you would actually channel that anger or that frustration into action. 
what parts of government you would push, understanding who decides um, on the question that, that is uh, at the core of your, your interest and your concern. And today there's so many people who have the, they have the ticked off part, mm-hmm. but not the literacy and power part. Uh, and so our work at Citizen University, um, a big part of it is about just boosting that fundamental foundation of understanding how power works uh, so that uh, you, you can uh, co- convert from the primal scream uh, of frustration into a sense of, well, here's what we could do about that. And here's um, who we need to push. And here's how we as uh, neighbors and residents and community members and citizens uh, can generate power by organizing. Um, and uh, and you know what's exciting about the times that we live in right now, even though uh, they are dark and full of uh, great conflict, uh, is that a lot of people all across the country, all across the ideological spectrum, are awakening to that potential uh, to rediscover their own uh, their own voice, their own agency, and ultimately their own power. Which is true. I, I can see that in the work that we do locally, that way more people now are more conscious of what's going around and less people have their head in the sand, so yeah. to speak. I think um, so much has been that people have just assumed that it was just going to be taken care of or they didn't think they could have any power in mm-hmm. the situation. And I think the latter is the bigger problem, is that they don't think they have any power. Yeah. But we do have power We do. Citizens. And to put it the other way, the, the, the thought that you are powerless is incredibly rapidly self-fulfilling. You know, when you just begin a process by assuming, well, I can't do anything about that, um, you've just pretty much guaranteed you won't be able to do anything about that, Mm -hmm. right? Now, the inverse isn't always true. It's not just that simply by wishing and imagining that you could have power that you get it. Uh, But it does begin with a mindset. And I think, uh, again, from the Tea Party to Occupy Wall Street, from Black Lives Matter to the Fight for 15, um, from Me Too and Time's Up, uh, to, uh, to march for our lives and vote for our lives, we are seeing all across the United States right now on different kinds of issues in different kinds of categories, uh, people recognizing that I'm, I'm going to stop throwing away my power by assuming I don't have any. I'm going to begin by doing a reset uh, and claiming a space, claiming a voice, and claiming the ability in the first place to change the frame of the possible, mm-hmm. right? Has Black Lives Matter accomplished everything they want to do? Of course not. Uh, there's so much still wrong in our criminal justice system, so much that is still inequitable uh, in our policing system and culture. Uh, But yet, you know, you and I sit here at a time where just a a week ago, our state enacted uh, by vote of the people. That's right. uh, A a ballot measure, initiative 940, um, that is going to require training for uh, law enforcement officers in de-escalation. About accountability. And accountability, right? That didn't happen uh, just because. That happened because a lot of people who had been long, for a long time, frustrated with the inequities and injustices of our system decided to rediscover their power, decided to generate power by both changing a story, but also changing the game, uh, organizing themselves, generating new power, uh, and deciding, uh, well, we're not going to only complain about this and, and get narratives out there. We're going to change the law. Uh, and if the legislature is is too slow on this, we're going to bypass the legislature and we're going to go to the people, right? Yes. Um, and that they were to me, successful. And they were they successful. Won. And that was incredibly inspiring mm-hmm. yeah. um, because that wasn't a big dollar campaign measure where no, you wasn't. know they weren't bankrolled by big interests. This was the people. Um, it was totally a grassroots effort yeah. with that one. It yeah. was. It was great to see that. Too. It, it was. And I, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, again, the age that we live in right now is reminding us or giving us a chance to remember 
that we have more power than we think. If you're just tuning in, I'm Cindy Black, and you're listening to Democracy Speaks. I am speaking with Eric Liu from Citizen University about citizen empowerment. So I want to dive more into some of the programs, seminars, resources uh, that you offer people through Citizen University. Um, I'd like to start with your Civic Saturdays. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to attend one of those a couple of years ago, and I really enjoyed that. So tell us a little bit about what Civic Saturdays are all about. Yeah, so Civic Saturdays are these gatherings that uh, we started in Seattle right after the the presidential election of 2016, actually literally four days after that election. Um, and they've now been spreading all over the United States. And, and what these gatherings are is essentially a civic analog to a faith gathering. Um, it's sort of like a civic uh, church or temple. It's, it's, of course, not church or mosque or temple. It's not about uh, religion in that sense. Uh, but it is about trying to recognize that there is a creed of values and ideals that in the United States we at least profess to believe in. Uh, and that those creeds and those, those values aren't self-animating. They're not self-executing. They only come to life uh, if we come together with other people and try to remember and remind ourselves what it means to believe in them, what it means to put them into practice, and how we can give each other courage uh, to try to put those ideals into practice, right? And so at Civic Saturday, these gatherings have a little bit of the arc of a faith gathering. We come together, uh, we sing, um, you turn to the strangers next to you, and you talk about a common question. Uh, There are uh, readings of texts that we think of as civic scripture that are just great American texts, sometimes super well-known, like the, you know, the preamble to the Constitution or part of the I Have a Dream speech. Uh, other times they're not well-known at all, uh, but they are still foundational uh, to American life. Uh, the, the speech that Susan B. Anthony gave uh, at her trial for the crime of attempting to vote as a woman, right? Uh, uh, you know, d- different uh, uh, talks and remarks that people have given over American history. Um, and then there's a civic sermon uh, that is trying to make sense of the times that we're in on, a, again, uh, not so much on a policy or tactical point of view, but on this deeper moral ethical point of view, right? Um, and then after uh, that, we sing again, and then people form into circles and talk about uh, um, what they're going to do to take some of these ideas and put them into practice in their neighborhood on an issue, whether it's homelessness or uh, gentrification or um, criminal justice, whatever it might be, right? And uh, uh, these gatherings, as I say, we started them in Seattle. Um, and the, f- the first one we did, uh, we did it at the basement of Elliott Bay Bookstore on Capitol Hill. Three days notice uh, right after the election, we thought, you know, there was so much anguish and, and uh, anxiety in the air. Um, and uh, we wanted just to create some space that would be a salve of some sort, right? And uh, but, we, but on such short notice, we thought it'd be great if 30, 40 people show up. And over 225 came and packed that little downstairs yeah, reading yeah. room. Uh, and that's when we realized we're onto something, that, yeah. that, that people are hungry for spaces to come together, make meaning, find courage. Um, yes, learn about concrete ways they can plug in, whether it's on a campaign or a, um, or a project or some other neighborhood organization. Uh, but it's much more about the community. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so we continue to do those in Seattle. Um, we uh, just had one last month in October. We had one in October. Our next one will be, uh, uh December 8th, uh, mm-hmm. in Seattle at the, uh, at the Impact Hub building where you and I are sitting right now mm-hmm. in Pioneer Square. Um, but beyond Seattle, as word started to get around about these Civic Saturday gatherings, people started asking, hey, can you bring Civic Saturday to our community? Um, and at first we said yes. And so, 
we've made a point to take the show on the road a little bit, and uh, we've been taking Civic Saturday to Atlanta and Los Angeles and Des Moines, Iowa and Nashville, Tennessee and other places all around the country. But that, of course, is not scalable, and that's not what we're trying to do. More important for us um, is to get other people to be able and willing to lead their own Civic Saturdays in their own communities. And so uh, that's why uh, last year we launched uh, uh, another program of ours called the Civic Seminary. Yeah, that was going to be something else I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, tell us about Civic Seminary. Well, that's exactly the point of it. Civic Seminary exists to train people who are catalytic leaders uh, in communities all around the United States. Uh, They come to Seattle for four days of deep training uh, to learn not only how to run your own Civic Saturday, like the nuts and bolts of putting on that event, uh, but again, to get more deeply steeped in, in, in the values and the history and the ideas and the tensions that are inherent uh, in reckoning with the creed and the, and the ideas of this notion of American civic religion, mm-hmm. right? If you, and not just liberty, freedom, uh, equal justice, but the, the, the deeper layers of it. What does it mean uh, to recognize that, for instance, liberty and equality are always in tension with each other, right? If all you do is go turn up the volume to 10 on liberty um, and everybody gets to do whatever they want, then inevitably you're going to step on equality. You're going to make things more unequal, right? But if you turn up the dial to 10 on equality and try to make everything equal for everybody all the time, then you are going to limit people's liberty and freedom, right? And that, how do you reckon with these tensions, that balance, right? Um, Of course we feel that. We feel it when we have debates about the Affordable Care Act, when you have debates about taxes. Uh, But it's about how do you give people language to make sense of this? How do you give people a sense that we're not debating this for the first time. This goes back to the Federalist Papers. This goes back, if you're a fan of the musical Hamilton, it goes back to the fights between Hamilton and Jefferson about the role of government, right? It goes back to the fights that led to the Civil War and the fights that were had over the scope of the New Deal and the Great Society, that we are perpetually having these arguments in American life, and let's have better, less stupid arguments, right? Let's situate them in some context uh, and make them make us realize that when you argue about homelessness and the impacts of homelessness in Ballard, for instance, or in Pioneer Square, where our offices are, you're not just arguing about that. You're arguing about what it means to be American, what we owe each other. Um, How do we live up to the creed that we say we believe in, right? And so Civic Seminary is about um, both teaching the nuts and bolts of holding a Civic Saturday gathering, but also about getting steeped um, in the ethical dimensions of how to lead communities through these kinds of choices and these kinds of uh, tensions. What's interesting is about the religious aspect of it. Because one of the things that I recently read an article, I think it was earlier today, about how um, people that don't identify a religion is is a really the growing group. Yes, the nuns, so the to speak. Nuns, None of the, the above. Nuns. That's right. what they were yeah. calling it, the nuns. I think it was in the Seattle Times. Yep. And um, But people are still hungry for that community, the sense of gathering and being together. And I like that the Civic Saturdays involve music and, and spoken word mm-hmm. and things like that because that's a part of that gathering and that people get to express themselves. But there's also a chance to communicate and yes. discuss, yes. discuss these things. So... And, think, and again, to do it in a way, yeah. like, I mean, look, there are people who come to Civic Saturdays who are in the nuns, who are unchurched, and there are people who come who are super churched and very involved and have a very active faith life. Our, the spirit of Civic Saturday is, is, it's for everybody, right? It is not meant to displace or to be a substitute uh, for uh, traditional organized religion. 
Uh, and it's not meant to only be a refuge for those who are uh, fleeing organized religion, but the idea is there's a part of our lives, our civic lives, um, that is separate from our faith lives, that is about how do we, how do we live as neighbors and fellow uh, community members uh, in a way that has not just the head activated about policy and politics and uh, tactics and strategy, uh, but has the heart activated and the soul activated, again, not in a godly way, but in the sense of, hey, there's a spirit of belonging. Um, are we a welcoming place or not? Are we a place that is compassionate or not? Uh, we think of ourselves uh, as a kind city. We, we in Seattle like to imagine that we are a kinder, more compassionate and welcoming place than you know, some other rougher parts of the country. And yet, you know, how are we, how are we doing? Right? In this, we are now the most unequal city in the United States, yeah. surpassing San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, evidence all around us, not only in homelessness, but in displacement and gentrification and the frustration and the anger that people have about the changing face and voice and the feel of our city. Civic Saturday is meant in part to give people a space where that feel can come out and the pain can come out as much as the hope. Uh, because think about it, where else in the rest of our lives uh, do you get an arena to be able to express those kinds of things in the company of others uh, and to try to do do it in a way that's constructive? Well, it sounds like a safe space to do that. Yeah. So right now, there's not a lot of safe spaces to have conversations with the, with with everything going on. There's so much polarization and animosity mm -hmm. and the partisanship, and we have to get past that if we're ever going to solve problems in a responsible, common-sense way. Well, look, I, I, I think I agree with you for about 95% of that. Mm -hmm. um, the 5% I would reserve a little bit of disagreement is partisanship itself is not the evil, right? We have parties for, for a good reason. We have, you know, we, we have different worldviews and philosophies about what the good life is and how strong a role of government uh, there ought to be in the good life and whether we ought to be thinking of ourselves as purely individuals or members of a, you know, a, a different collective identities. It's good to have differing sharp points of view on that. And if that gets expressed through partisanship, that's fine. What is really dangerous, though, about our times um, is the dehumanization um, of our partisan differences mm -hmm. uh, and the tribal um, kind of uh, uh, mechanization uh, of that partisanship, where you stop thinking uh, about how you actually feel about something. You don't really know your own mind. You just take a playbook, you just take a script, you just take your cues from what your team, whether it's Team Red or Team Blue, uh, or within Seattle City politics, you know, Team uh, Sawant or Team Not Sawant, whatever it might be, yeah. right? You, you, that, that, are, that, that these polar pro, uh, uh, differences are, are dangerous when they, A, get dehumanized and you start demonizing people who differ from you, uh, but B, when you stop thinking for yourself, uh, yeah. And you just take a script and you just take your cues, um, you know, uh, I, I have no inherent problem with somebody who uh, uh, supports Donald Trump. I will disagree with them on tons of things. The problem I have is with somebody who supports Donald Trump as a matter of reflex, um, who just, you know, he could go shoot a man down Fifth Avenue and I'll still make the case uh, for why that was the right thing to do. That kind of person I have no respect for because they don't know their own mind, right? Uh, and so they're just kind of going along. They're just going along. Part, and I that, think the, 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 the fundamental responsibility. And look, in Seattle, we have plenty of that, not necessarily Trumpism, but sort of the mirror image of that. Seattle being such a mono political monoculture, uh, people just do things and take the progressive line on things by reflex. 
without actually knowing their own mind, without having heard counter-arguments, without having reckoned with uh, the, the potential costs or consequences of their worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and my message is know your own mind, right? Uh, We're talking about critical thinking. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, we don't, we're not teaching kids how to critical think, or adults even. Or adults. <laughs> how to think critically and and look objectively at something. And, and I always look at, well, where is the information coming from first? Mm-hmm. And is it a biased slant or not? Because if it is a biased slant, I'm probably not going to be getting the full picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, our political diet, you can either do it uh, mindfully and intentionally in ways that are meant to make you healthier, um, or you can be mindless about it and just be taking junk food that... Uh, satisfies a particular craving right now, um, but is empty calories and in the end actually makes you sick. Yeah, that's one reason why I don't watch the news. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Democracy Speaks. We'll be right back with more from Eric Liu from Citizen University after a brief station break. Stay tuned.